One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Hey listeners, it's Mishi. Last week we released our 50th wartime diary. This week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating wartime diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, so if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. Hey guys, it's Mishi. It's been almost six weeks since you last heard from us, and the reason is that that entire time I've been in the ICU with my Abba, my dad, David, who you guys have all met a few times here on our show. He's been through a really rough time, which is ongoing, so I've been sort of out of the podcast loop. But if you can send some good energy my dad's way, maybe say a prayer or just think a thought, I hope I'll soon be able to get back into the swing of things and tell you that he's back home and that all is well. Anyway, just because life is so crazy and vacillates between such extremes, here we go. Testing, testing, ch ch ch. I think that's good. Wait, can I just say, like you said, I would forget it that, that I was being recorded and I wouldn't feel like I was being recorded and I'm not going to forget this. There's a big microphone in my face and you've got headphones on. A few months ago, we heard there was a new Israeli app that makes buying weed as easy as ordering a pizza. So, while we tried to figure out how this app was developed and who was behind it, we asked our producer Zev Levi to test it out. Um, this is Zev Levi seeing if Telegrass works. The app is called Telegrass. T-E-L-E? 
G-R-A-S-S. And hit search. Let's try it. Okie dokie. Zev enlisted his friend Hodaya, and together they recorded what was a very new experience for them. We don't know what we're doing. Cool. His assignment was to evaluate the app's user-friendliness. To test how easy it would be for a complete novice, a complete first-timer, to get their hands on some ready-to-smoke pot. Zev carefully followed the instructions on the Telegras website, and after a few minutes of fumbling, All right, we have ourselves a username. He was now staring at the app's main page, which sort of looks like a WhatsApp screen. There's a list of group chats organized by location, and in the Jerusalem area chat, Zev and Odaya saw different sellers posting photographs and prices of weed. Three lovely images of some marijuana. A bit of uh, words that I don't know what they mean. OG Kush. Trying to show off his very limited knowledge of pot lingo, Zev explained that... OG uh, stands for (laughs) Original Gangster. Original Gangster? Yeah. Everybody knows that. (laughs) I'm totally OG. You're pretty OG. Thank you. (laughs) But pretty quickly, even Zev was in over his head. So they reached out to the modern-day oracle, Google, for help in deciphering the words and acronyms they saw mentioned in the posts. Also, while you're on your phone, can you please look up the difference between sativa and indica? Because we're going to order and I should know. Uh, Effects, yeah. Indica effects tend to be sedating and relaxing with full-body effects. Sativa effects tend to be uplifting and creative with cerebrally-focused effects. I'm on the board for sativa. What do you want? That sounds awesome. OG. OG is different. (laughs) In the end, they settled on Indica, and proceeded, they were on a journalistic mission after all, to try and order one gram. They initiated personal chats with a bunch of sellers. I'm not trusting grass make diamond, that's... He doesn't sound like the kind of dealer I want to have a relationship with. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Moving on to Cheesy McDuckface. The angel has already responded. Uh, Montana Weed just accepted my... Uh, request, so I'm sending them a message. I'm sorry that I keep using the male pronouns. I'm sure some of these drug dealers are women. A cheesy McDuck responded, so let me... Cheesish. Love him. But just before Zev sealed the deal with Cheesy McDuck, Hodaya got cold feet. She was concerned about dangerous criminals entering her otherwise very much criminal-free life. Who's this guy, and maybe he's dangerous, and maybe he just wants to kill us. That night, though, the dangerous criminals Hodaya feared turned out, over the phone at least, to be nice guys. And more than anything, they just got a kick out of Zev's lack of experience. The doctor has responded. (laughs) After a few more of these embarrassing calls, Zev struck gold. Okay, um, he said he's on his way. Or green. I have to go now. Zev stepped into the cold Jerusalem night and walked over to the address he had given Cheesy McDuck, which, just to stay on the safe side, was actually a block and a half away from his apartment building. A few minutes later, a small, beaten-up old car with three twenty-somethings pulled up. They asked him to get in and began driving around the neighborhood. Later, when he returned home, Zev proudly told Hodaya all about the faux kidnapping. 
every time I would ask them a question, they would laugh at me. So I said like, guys, I need to tell you, I'm a producer for a radio show. Do you mind if I just record your voices? And they said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And then they all burst out laughing. They're like, what, do you think we'd let you record us? What do you think? No, definitely not. Have a good night, brother. Have a good night. Hey, radio, have a good night. But Zev kept his eyes on the prize and, surely enough, delivered the goods. Four clumps of green leafy type things in a little plastic sandwich bag and one cigarette along with that. And, uh, and it worked and it's very, very exciting. Lord, get me high, get me high, get me high. Hey, I'm Ishi Harman, and this is Israel Story. Israel Story is brought to you by PRX and is produced together with Tablet Magazine. And our episode today, Milk, Honey, and Sweet Mary Jane. Now, if you feel we sent our innocent producer Zev out on a dangerous mission to explore the underbelly of Israeli society, think again. You see, cannabis in the Holy Land it's way more prevalent than you might imagine. The last survey we did, uh, we completed it at uh, the end of December uh, 2016, which is only 11 months ago or 12 months ago. This is a national survey based on a very large sample. The rates uh, were alarming. That's Professor Yossi Harel Fish, a researcher at Barilan University. And also... In Israel, I serve as a chief scientist for the Israeli Anti-Drug Authority. There was an enormous increase in the use of cannabis reported by uh, the adult population in Israel, and it went up from about 5.5% to over 27%. So we have almost uh, more than a quarter, one out of four adults uh, ages uh, 18 uh, to 40 in the Israeli society that are reporting to us that they used cannabis at least once during the past month. This is one of the highest rates in the world. Actually, as far as we can tell, it's the highest. And today we'll be devoting the episode to one man who has committed himself to making that number even higher. Yochai Meital will take it from here. For many Israelis, the hero of our story needs no introduction. He's a great guy. He's very brave. He's bringing uh, the revolution. Uh, it's happening now. Currently, he's uh, hiding somewhere in the U.S. right now. I hope that he could come back to Israel with his head up high. He is a criminal mastermind, a fugitive running from the law. Mob bosses vie for his attention. The Israeli police have put their top cyber unit and their best minds on the case. All, so far have led to limited results. The man known as the Green Giant, the Green Prince, Father of the Nation, Super Silver, the Prophet, and the list goes on, is changing the rules. And, well, breaking them. He lives like a vagrant while heading an operation with a daily cash flow of five million shekels, or one and a half million dollars a day. When I learned that this man recently located to upstate New York, I had to meet him. I got on a train, chugged along the Hudson Valley, and made my way to a grungy neighborhood in Poughkeepsie. 
When I arrived at the address I had been given over the phone, a disheveled-looking guy came down to greet me. Long hair, an unkempt beard, and penetrating brown eyes. He led me up to his sparsely furnished apartment, basically a room with a mattress, a tiny table, a chair, and an internet connection. We sat down and talked for hours. I quickly found out that with Amos, that's the green giant's name, almost every conversation, every story, comes back to one elusive ideal. Truth. It's all part of the same will. And you can say that the will is truth. And I mention this not just because it characterizes Amos, but because it's also what makes this story unique. Anarchist, drug, and you name it markets abound on the darknet. Some have been notoriously taken down. Just Google Dread Pirate Roberts to learn about one example. But in the case of Telegras, its founder and driving force, Amos Silver, has always been guided by transparency and truthfulness. I'm going to take you on a deep dive into the Telegras community, an Israeli weedtopia, if you will. But first, before I do, I'm going to tell you about Amos. Because while the story of Telegras is very much the story of its creator... Amos was the fifth of seven children born to an ultra-Orthodox family in Tzfat, in the north of Israel. He remembers himself as a happy and rambunctious child. But around the age of 13, he started having heretical thoughts. Guilt about those thoughts was keeping him up at night. In his anguish, Amos would come back to something his father always told him. He was very strict with us that we don't say the word true. If it's not really true. This is how my, my father educated us. And then a profound realization formed in his adolescent mind. This whole business of truthfulness should include being honest with yourself. Maybe it's the, my first thing that I realize about life. Don't fight with yourself. You need to be with, in peace with yourself, first of all. Amos admitted, to himself at least, that he was not religious. But even though at 13 he was old enough to complete a minion, Amos was still far from being in control of his life. That's the age that we go to yeshiva. He was sent off to a religious boarding school. There, with less parental supervision, life was notably better. But then uh, they caught me. Like uh, Sometimes I went to the mall from the yeshiva. I went to the mall to see news or stuff in the TV. It was not allowed. Amos was expelled. His father started dragging him from yeshiva to yeshiva, but each time it ended the same way. Eventually, things came to a head at home. I remember this moment. I had a big fight with my father. By this point, Amos was 15, and his father had all but given up hope. In that day, I decided to leave my house in Tzfat and never come back. It was a Saturday, a Shabbat, so there was no buses. I waited for, let's say, Shabbat, Saturday night, and then I took a bus to Jerusalem. Amos became a homeless teenager, wandering the streets of Jerusalem. One day I'm here, one day I'm there. There were nights that I didn't have where to sleep. He got a job at a little kiosk downtown. Pizzuzia. Selling drinks and cigarettes. The owner let him sleep in a little storage area in the back. I remember it is a nice experience. Interesting, it's, it's the word. It was like hard to breathe over there. And it was hot. The kiosk owner, the store owner, he make a hole in the wall and put the air conditioner through there. So it was like he make it uh, nice to live. 
And also that was the place that I smoked in the first time in my life. That was the beginning. Amos spent the next few years working hard, putting in long shifts both at the kiosk and at a 24-hour mini-mart. Finally, he saved up enough money to rent his own place, and he moved out of the storage room. At 18, when the IDF came knocking, he was ready for a change. In the beginning, I was really enthusiastic and, like, poisoned. Poisoned, in Hebrew, is army speak for gung-ho. Amos was drafted into... The battalion called the Nachshon. A unit whose sole mission is policing the West Bank. Around the city, Tulkarem, sometimes Kalkilia or Nablus. It was like uh, everyday service, not a glory action. And from the first time that we make uh, arrest, I remember the mother of the, I don't know if uh, to say terrorist or not, because I don't know this guy, but let's say terrorist for the story. Uh, his mother was crying, and a uh, couple of my friends that was make uh, fun of her left. And uh, also the terrorists, they like hit him and humiliated him, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't see it. Amos told his commander that he refuses to take part in any more arrests. His officer didn't make a big deal of it. He just put him on less sensitive missions. But even on these lighter assignments, Amos was encountering situations he had a hard time dealing with. This one time, standing at a checkpoint. It was a really hot day. Amos found himself screaming at an older Arab gentleman. In Arabic, go back. While I screamed at him, I thought to myself, what are you doing? This man can be your grandpa. After that, Amos basically became a pacifist, embedded with a combat unit deep in the West Bank. Because he was such a positive guy, and because he actually preferred the kind of duties that all the other soldiers hated, no one made too much of a fuss. Amos spent the remainder of his military service staring at the biblical landscape of the hills of Samaria. For me, Gaududis was the best, because I, I went with my bang. And it was quality hours, like I sit with my bangs and I have nature to look. That's it. Amos's post-military plans were pretty standard. He signed up for a college prep course and was going to enroll in university. In order to pay for all this, he applied for a part-time job as a security guard at a Jerusalem hospital and was called in for an interview. Before the interview, I needed to fill up some papers. And one of the questions was, do you use drugs? Truthful, as always, he answered, Yes, cannabis. The head of the hospital's security entered the room, skimmed the questionnaire, then suddenly looked up. Do you have a record in the police that you smoke? So I said, no. I remember his face was like, okay, why are you saying the truth? And for me, it was a weird question. You ask, and I answer the truth, and you have complaints. At the end, I was accepted with a gun and everything. Amos was smoking regularly, even on the job. By this point, it had become part of his lifestyle. But he was also a fully functioning adult and was doing well, both in his studies and at work. After a couple of months, they promoted me to the center of the security. According to Amos, smoking helped him. 
It calmed and grounded him. But it was also a source of shame. I felt that uh, I need to stop it. It's drugs and it's addicted. It was again the, the fight inside me. After repeated failed attempts at kicking the habit, Amos decided to take a different approach. Relax. That's what I said to myself. And after this relax, I started to think, wait, why I need to stop? What's wrong with that that I smoke if it makes me feel good? Amos began to feel better about himself. By this point, he had a bit of a reputation as a stoner. Then, on one December evening in 2013, following a tip, the police showed up at his doorstep. They came into the, my house. I smiled to the cops and I told them, let me take you to the garden. They were v- really disappointed because they found only one plant and like 20 or 30 grams of hash. And they expected to find a lot more. The cops took Amos down to the station for further questioning. One of the first things they asked was... If I sold drugs. Of course, Amos being Amos... I said the truth. Yeah, I sold to my friends sometimes. I mean, like everyone that smoke, sometimes I have and he need and okay, so I have, take half, pay for this half and I, I mean... Like every, every stoner do, do, do it, does it. So that's what I told the investigator. The investigator informed Amos that he was under arrest for selling drugs. Amos confessed to growing pot and selling to a friend for a sum of 100 shekels, around $30. All this would have been an open-shut affair, one of several tens of thousands of drug-related arrests the Israeli police made that year. Now, there's a standard chain of events in such small-time cannabis cases. The culprit pleads guilty, expresses remorse, and is let off with some version of a slap on the wrist. I told the, the judge that I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm not going to apologize for anything, and if something, they need to apologize to me. I didn't make regret. I told them that I'm 100% standing behind what I did, and the judge was really... It was really hard for him. He wanted to help, but I, with the truth, I, I didn't let him how to help me. And I told him, I told him, all you want me to do, it's to lie. That's what you want. You want me to say that I did a mistake and that I will never do it again. If I say that, you can say I'm going home. But it's a lie and you know it and everyone know it. So I feel that it's a game that I don't want to take part of this game. We all know that it's a lie. So why? I mean, this is the truth. Do whatever you need. He answered me. Uh, He said uh, that he understand my point and he agreed with some of my saying, but he said my hands are tied because this is the law. And I told him that it's not true, that the law said 20 years for growing and no one goes for 20 years. I told them that if it's the law, so we don't need judges. We can put a computer. This is the law. This is what I did. And the computer said, what, what is the answer? The judge need to be not like a computer. He need to judge. If you don't say the words, Amos is going to jail, so I will not go to jail. It's your decision. And I saw in his eyes that he is thinking of what I say. And maybe this is why this simple trial was on two years. 
despite the fact that Amos told the judge, In the second that I'm going out, I'm going to smoke. If you don't want me to smoke, you need to put me in a full custody. The court decided to release him to his father in Sfat, where he was to stay under house arrest for the remainder of the trial. I left in age 15, and then the judge brought me back in age 28. This time was unbelievable hard. But from this hardship, stuck in his childhood home, Amos's new path as a revolutionary emerged. If they never come to my house, I would never become that activist. Uh, I never had the courage to do what I did if I'm not already in trouble. When they put me into trouble, they released me. Of course, like any modern-day revolution. Uh, it started on Facebook. Amos decided to take his candor with the judge to the next level. He posted a video of himself smoking a bong. And Amos kept posting. He even wrote smart-alecky comments on the police's official Facebook page. I'm seeing felony right now. I'm looking at the mirror and I smoke a bong. I'm breaking the law right now. Can I report on myself? While the police politely ignored him, the media were lapping it up. Amos made appearances, both on the morning and the late-night talk shows. He was beginning to understand that his truthfulness was a powerful weapon, and he wanted to utilize it on a larger scale. I knew that if all of the people that smoke, or even 1% of them, will just say the truth, the police can't, they don't have anything to do with it. Next, Amos created a Facebook event, inviting all smokers in Israel to come together for one evening and smoke openly in the Rose Garden, right in front of the Knesset. He called it the Big Bong Night. But not everybody was on board. Many veteran legalization activists were dismayed by Amos's tactics. They tried to get him, at the very least, to change the name to, say, the Big Joint Night. Bong, they felt, it carried a narcotic connotation. But Amos stood his ground. And if social media is any gauge, his instincts were correct. It was like more than 6,000 people that marked themselves as going. On the day of the protest, Amos was arrested for sedition. But that didn't stop thousands from showing up and defiantly toking up right in front of the legislature, flanked by dozens of mounted police officers armed with riot gear. The event, held on the 20th of April, 2014, went on to become an annual tradition. All subsequent big bog nights, by the way, were held peacefully, with minimal to no arrests, and sounded more like this. After two years, Amos's verdict was finally passed down. In the meantime, he had managed to tack on another charge by selling one gram of marijuana to an undercover cop. For both cases, Amos got a combined sentence of... Together, it's one year. He looks back at that time in prison the same way he does at most hard times he's been through. Uh, it was really good. It was really good. Amos was, and still is, a vegan. And the Shabbas, the Israeli prison authority, well, they didn't really know how to deal with such an inmate. So they put him in the aptly named... Rimonim jail pomegranate jail. Amos received a weekly allotment of vegetables and was allowed to cook in a little kitchen they set up in his cell. After seven months and a week, Amos was released 
my financial uh, situation was really really bad after years that I couldn't walk and uh, I was already a convicted felon not seeing any real prospects for himself in Israel Amos turned to his brother for help I told them that I need him to buy me a ticket and one day I will pay him back Amos a dual Israeli American citizen boarded a plane to the US with no specific plan so something just fly and see where it goes in a way he was back to square one back to his teenage years of roaming and drifting from state to states Las Vegas and back to New York and then Alaska and back to New York sometimes uh, literally didn't have money to eat what he did have is a cell phone and a computer he rekindled the old Facebook page and got back to work on his green revolution in the Holy Land a lot of people send me messages even when I was here in America uh, they have problems and they need weed and they need the advice and I A lot of people and I had two options to close my Facebook page or to give them an answer almost became that friend who would hook you up except on a huge scale and with people he didn't even know from spotty Wi-Fi connections at roadside diners and dumpy motel rooms and at Starbucks branches across the country he connected hundreds of Israeli smokers to dealers. To protect the dealer's identities, he worked out a system whereby he'd direct the buyers to fake Facebook profiles operated by the dealers. I know that this person is sell marijuana in uh, Tel Aviv. I know this person, he sent me a message that he wants, so I said, talk to him. That's how it starts. Soon, Amos had more than 20,000 followers on his personal page. But how many can you do it in one day? And then they have complaints. Hey, I ordered 10, he gave me 9.5. And I just couldn't do it anymore. That's when a programmer friend stepped up and suggested... Telegram. He said, let me build a system on Telegram that drain all the activity from your Facebook. No, no, only the application. The idea was that through this new platform, dealers and buyers would connect directly. Well, Amos could just, you know, sit back and relax. I opened Telegram to have more free time because I couldn't handle it. But the, the result was that I got 10 times more busy. We never, we never thought that it will be that big. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Telegrass is actually one giant group living on Telegram. 
And Telegram, the messaging app Telegrass runs on, is like a heavily encrypted version of WhatsApp. It allows you to choose a username without displaying your real details and has a secret chat option with a self-destruct timer. It's extremely popular in Iran with over 50 million users. It's the platform of choice for organizations like ISIS. And for all the same reasons, it was ideal for Amos's illegal endeavor. Telegram is also open source, which is crucial. This allowed Amos and his programmer friend to tweak it to their specific needs. Just as soon as they had a functioning prototype, they launched it. In March of 2016, in a short, informative Facebook post on his private page, Amos announced that from now on, all commerce was to move to Telegram. After that, things started to grow fast. They quickly expanded from 20,000 buyers to... Today we have more than 105,000. A couple dozen dealers turned into... More than 2,000 dealers and hundreds waiting. If you want to smoke, it's very easy. You have many dealers, they all publish the pictures of their, uh, of their weed and the prices and they give discounts and it's, it's very easy to use. In less than eight months, Amos scaled up from a one-man show to an operation run by hundreds of volunteers. I'm the manager of the technical support department. My name is uh, Mami Mam. I manage the mother group for Telegrass. I am Telegrass's active physician. In addition to an in-house MD and a mother's group, they now have an online botanical course, an HR department, and much more. Everything, everything, everything. It just, it's a whole world inside of an app. So they organize the machine. Very organized organization. There's procedures for, for doing everything. It's quite impressive the way it's, uh, the way it's built. Of course, the majority of the activity occurs in dozens of local Israeli selling groups, where an estimated 30,000 daily transactions take place. While the vast majority of those transactions are of cannabis, there are also closed groups selling psychedelics, though not to minors. The Telegrass management sticks to a clear chain of command and follows strict protocols. A customer can give a dealer a review or even file a complaint. With a few additional security measures, it's basically, like Amos loves to say, the Uber of the weed. That's the goal, the Uber of the weed. And laid-back hippie Amos is the CEO running the entire operation. I don't see myself as a CEO, as a big manager... And also, you describe it now as a successful business. But you manage hundreds of people. Yep. Funny. During the many hours we spent together, Amos's phone was constantly pinging. Putting it aside for the interview was out of the question. Wait, I want to do another break. So I got to hear Amos taking care of a sexual abuse claim. Amos being warned about a potential undercover cop. Shit. Amos rebuking a dealer for contacting him directly instead of going through the proper channels. Amos has worked hard, turning Telegrass into a thriving and inclusive community. Everyone thinks it's it's almost as powerful. It's you know he's at the head of it, but it's it's its own thing. It's like an organism that evolves on its own. We are all working together for one purpose. We have one goal. It's a place where secular and religious Jerusalemites and Tel Avivis, settlers and Arabs, all work together productively. My name is uh, Anjuch. 
I'm a member of the top management. I'm not the only Arab also in the top management. There are, I think, many. All are equal. We are not here to discriminate or anything. Let's pause to explain how all this actually works. If you're looking to buy some weed in Israel, you go to Telegras. Welcome to Telegras. You scroll down to your local group. You have now joined Judea and Samaria. 2,900 subscribers. Peruse the offerings. Dr. Black is going crazy. 10 grams, 400 niche. Free delivery. Cheesy McDuck. Quality sativa. What you see is what you get. Check out the reviews. Nice guy, but mediocre weed at best. Great service. Was here within half an hour. Good pot. Terrible service. Then contact the dealer you've selected on a secret chat and arrange the delivery or pickup. The dealer will then ask you for your personal information, including a link to your Facebook profile, in order to verify that you're not the police. Now, sending your personal details to a dealer you don't know may seem risky, but Amos and his team have thought this stuff through. There's a system in place to hold dealers accountable. If you want to sell weed on Telegras, well, you need to go through an even more thorough vetting process. Basically, you submit all your personal details, including an incriminating picture, say, a picture of yourself holding up a large quantity of pot. Telegras's verification team will proceed to check you out, again, in order to ensure you're not the police. Once you pass their screening, you're in. You are now a verified Telegras dealer, and you're free to promote your goods under your assumed username. But all the while, the dealer's real personal information and the incriminating picture are stashed away on Telegras's servers. I'm telling everyone, we are going to keep your details. And if you do something wrong, we have the right to do whatever it want, we want. They accept and agree to the terms of, and condition. Dealers are allowed to post for free in two groups, the main group and one local group of their choosing. If they want to publish in additional groups, they have to pay Telegras a fee. 420 for each channel. That's like 120 bucks. Now, most of these funds go to cover Telegras's overhead. Salaries for the programmers, a living wage for Amos, and a monthly weed stipend of about 10 grams per person for most of the managers. The rest goes to all kinds of activities and promotional schemes that I guess you could categorize as marketing. For example, a weed lottery with a first prize of one kilo, or weed scavenger hunts all over Israel. They also coordinate donations for sick people, help with legal advice, and other civic-minded services for cannabis users. So Telegas is, in every way, a community. There's a joint sense of purpose that unites its members. But it's also a successful business. According to Amos, Telegras brings in roughly 300,000 shekels a month. And that figure is growing fast. Amos gave me a general rundown of their expenses, and there is a sizable monthly surplus. Allegations surrounding the huge amounts of cash involved have prompted Telegras to begin making charitable donations. The first one went to a private animal shelter. One morning, its manager woke up to find 42,000 shekels in cash on her doorstep. On Twitter, Telegras posited that this is their way of paying taxes. A group of Telegras dealers recently broke off and formed a competitor, Isragras, promising to lower prices and raise quality. A good indicator of how well business is going for Telegras. Amos is not too worried. He welcomes the local competition, and besides, Telegras's aspirations go well beyond the Israeli market. They've recently added interfaces in Arabic, Russian, and English. In December 2017, 
They opened an international channel with dealers from Africa, Europe, North America, South America, and Asia. And like any self-respecting startup, they are dreaming of establishing their headquarters in, where else? Silicon Valley. I'm growing every day. Every day. And we're hoping that uh, soon we have branches in every country in the world. Amos founded Telegas with two basic rules in mind. First, Telegas is strictly vegan. All edibles sold on the platform must comply. The mere act of posting a non-vegan recipe, say a cannabis-infused artichoke dip that calls for eggs, that could get you expelled. Second, and this one is more controversial, Telegas welcomes minors. And if this disturbs you, well, you're not alone. Many, even within the legalization community, are outraged. But hey, it's his world. And here, Amos sets the rules. But people don't always follow them. Like any operation, there are problems. People trying to game the system or take advantage of the platform's anonymity. Telegas does not shy away from such obstacles. I just need to explain something first. Well, basically, uh, guys on Telegram think that there are no women on Telegram. The amount of times that someone called me dude or bro is countless. That's Iron Flower, the manager in charge of preventing sexual harassment and violence in Telegras. She told me that she stopped correcting people's false gender assumptions, because too often it just leads to... Are you single? Uh, do you want to hook up? Do you want to meet and smoke something? Uh, do you want me to give you free weed? And I want to be very clear, it's not all of them, it's not even most of them. We decided to do something different. We decided we want to fight it. You can tell us and we'll help you and we'll fix it. And if we can't, we'll at least be there with you. When Ironflower receives a complaint, the first thing she does is call the accused party. Hi, uh, I'm in charge of uh, preventing sexual harassment in Telegas. Very friendly, very kindly. I received a complaint about you and don't worry, it's okay. I just wanted to see what happened. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. and then they talk to me, and it's amazing because they, they tell me that they feel like they can talk to a woman for the first time and ask questions because of the anonymity of Telegram, that they can't ask anyone. They can't ask their mothers, their sisters, their girlfriends, their wives. They just can't. Some of them message me months after I talk to them and tell me, well, there's this cute girl on Facebook and I want to write her this or that. Do you think it's cool? Ironflower, the self-described angry feminist and quilt bag activist, I had to Google that one, finds herself giving dating advice to ex-sexual harassers. Maybe I'm naive, but I think it's working. In seven or eight months of activity, never get a second complaint about a user. Every female user I spoke to said that Telegras has made the experience of buying cannabis much safer and changed their experience for the better. But sometimes, simply airing the problem, talking about it, doesn't cut it. As long as weed is illegal, it will attract criminal elements. Telegas is no different. But in the old weed world order, drug dealers existed on the periphery of society and they were accountable to no one. In the Telegas community, on the other hand, there are checks and balances in place. When someone files a complaint of, say, being swindled or ripped off, Plotter and his crew are on it. Text messages, uh, screenshots, and then we're trying to find out who's the one to blame. If a dealer transgresses, refuses to rectify the situation, and ignores the manager's warnings, his or her details, and remember that incriminating picture, 
They're all publicized on the wall of shame. The wall of shame. Meet ID number 298. The guy in the picture is kindly requested to contact Cyber Booth. 20 years old from Jerusalem. A-S-A-P. Last warning. Now, this is a serious measure, because Telegas users aren't the only ones who monitor the wall of shame. Usually, who goes up uh, on the wall of shame after 24 hours gets arrested by the police. It's not an easy decision. When we posting someone on the sh- wall of shame, it's in some way like killing him. But sometimes they don't let us any other choice. And we never do it before we gave them a lot of warrants. Telegras has essentially enlisted the police to be their enforcers. At least some of the Telegras-related arrests the police are boasting are actually these presents handed down via the wall of shame. So, in a way, I guess, the police are unwittingly doing their part in advancing Telegras's cause. Which brings us to the reason that Amos and I met up in a dingy little apartment in Poughkeepsie, New York, instead of in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, or Tzfat. We are in a wall. We are in a wall, and th- this is one of the reasons that I told you that I'm tagging the Israeli police in every post. I want to make them annoying. I want to make them use all the power they have. I want them to recruit more power and more money and more and more and more and more and see that they can't do anything. In this war, Telegas has deployed an entire team of managers to expose undercover policemen. I posited to Amos that this type of action might be crossing a line, even for him, that he might be putting these cops in danger. There is a threat on innocent people, and I want to do whatever I can to remove this threat. Uh, I write next to the picture that I don't want anyone to do anything to this person. I mean, it's not that issue to do something to him. The issue is, no, don't get close to this guy. Don't trust him. He's undercover. I try to, to hurt you. I don't care about the saying, it's my job. I'm not accepting it. I mean, I don't care if it's your job to kill innocent people or to send them to jail. Either way, it's, not, it's wrong. You can't do it. And if you do it, you are the bad guy. You are the bad guy. I don't care what is your work. You are the bad guy. The war between Telegras and the Israeli police is being fought as we speak. And despite repeated arrests of a handful of dealers, I think it's fair to say that Telegras, with over 100,000 users in Israel alone, is winning. Amos, he's more confident than ever. And he has a message for the police. Every second that you continue with this war, you just make your future failure bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Contrary to what I imagined, Amos isn't concerned with legalization. At least not in the usual sense. I don't care about the law. I care about the reality. And I know that to change the law, it's, it's more, more complicated than to change the reality. My goal is that they will be flooded with people that grow only one or two or three for themselves. And the, the judges will release them home with no mm-hmm. nothing. And then the cops will stop arrest those people because mm-hmm. they will understand that they will be embarrassed in court. If the people will understand it and will act like that, the law will have no meaning. But that day is not yet upon us. And Amos is still paying a heavy personal price. 
he can't come home without facing what will almost surely be an immediate arrest. And even in the U.S., the threat of extradition is always looming over his head. But Amos doesn't seem to be afraid. No, I'm not concerned about it. I know maybe it will happen. I don't want it to happen, but it's not, uh, it's not an issue. It's not, uh, it's not what motivates me or stops me. I mean, the telegraph can be function 100% without me. Maybe even it will boost. Like every time that the police arrest me, it boosts whatever I did that they arrest me for. Every time. Every time. Before I sign off, one last thing. Amos basically describes two ways of thinking about legalization. The first is what he calls the law. The idea being that if you want to affect change, you need to adhere to the proper democratic process, to vote for a party promoting the issue and hope that they get enough political power to push legislation forward. Until then, you either abide by the law and refrain from smoking, or else you keep on smoking and lie about it. It's because the people lie. The people uh, cooperate with the lie of the law. If they stop cooperating with this law, so the reality, the real reality will be take over and the truth will be in control. The more I think about it, I find myself drawn to Amos's second, more proactive path. The one he calls reality. Creating change by being the change instead of sitting around waiting for the Knesset to move. So in the spirit of Amos's truthfulness, I want to offer a full disclosure. I am a cannabis smoker. I have been smoking since the age of about 16, with a long break during my military service. And that feeling of shame that Amos talks about, I get it. I feel it daily. Although I am a super-involved dad, a devoted husband, a hard worker, a reserve search-and-rescue platoon commander, even though I compost religiously and in general consider myself to be a contributing member of society, in the eyes of the law, I'm also a criminal. And I often walk around feeling like an addict and a failure. Now, I'm not trying to advocate smoking marijuana. I'm not even sure it's good for me personally. But I do know that a million other Israelis and I are not all criminals. And we're not bad people. Amos's claim that pot smokers are all lying, that I am a liar, it resonates with me. When you lie, it's, it's fight. When you say the truth, it's much more easier and, uh, and good for you, for your soul, for your mind. So here I am, owning up to it. And if you think any less of me for it, well, so be it. At least now, we are finally being honest. <laughs> Yochai Meital reported and produced that story. It was edited by Shai Satran with additional editorial help from Julie Subru. And that's our episode. You can hear all Israel Story episodes in both English and Hebrew on our site, on iTunes, and on any of the other main podcast platforms. Also, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes and write a review. That, more than anything else, helps us grow and reach new listeners. And if you don't already do so, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under Israel Story. If you want to sponsor episodes of Israel Story, which you really should, simply drop us a line at sponsor at prx.org. 
www.bumpam.org. Thanks to Bumpam, Luki, Michael Suisa, and Meir Ariel via Shiraz Ariel for letting us use their songs. We'll have all the links up on our site. The original scoring was by Ari Wenig with some additions by Yochai Meital and Ruth Danon. Thanks also to Orna Leshem, Philip Bonney, Natalie Sharel, Tom Raz, and Antonio Hernandez from Off Record Studios in New York. Israel Story is brought to you by PRX, the public radio exchange, and is produced in partnership with Tablet Magazine. Our staff includes Yochai Meital, Shai Satran, Maya Kosover, Roy Gilron, Zev Levi, Yuli Shiloch, Ari Wenig, Hannah Barg, and our two new supremely talented production interns, Judah Kaufman and Abby Neuschatz. I'm Ishi Harman, and we'll be back next time with what I can only hope will be some good news. So till then, Shalom Shalom, and Yalla Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.